Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If the players played against each other, the squad that we've got now, I would say, is just as good, if not better. The thing that does worry me slightly about football is the social media angle. The Blue Peter badge, I think you'd struggle to find someone on the island that wouldn't recognise it. What's it like for you on an off day? Because I imagine, because you've got a young audience, you you always need to bring that extra 10, 20% um, to entertain and to, to communicate with them. Once I hear we're live, all of that disappears, especially in the last year. I'm very thankful for my job because it gives me that escapism. They confront a lot of potentially sensitive topics um, to educate the young viewers, such as like Black Lives Matter. I know you did like a special on that quite recently. But do you think that balance of entertainment and education is is exactly what makes Blue Peter so special? I think it's vital that we cover maybe those not so savory aspects of the planet that we live on. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Football and Feelings podcast. Thank you for joining me again. I'm your host, Liam. I hope you're keeping well during lockdown, connecting with people, keeping active whenever you can. I'm going to introduce you to my next guest on this episode. He has He's wrapped Eminem's Lose Yourself to Kevin Hart with his mouth stretched open. He has been fed an egg by Danny DeVito during these trying times. He is aspiring Man United goalkeeper and Blue Peter presenter, Richie Driss. Richie, how are you, sir? What an intro that was. You've gassed me up differently, Liam. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> no, pleasure, mate. The pleasure is all mine. How have you been I, I need to, I, I, Listen, I, in, it's a pretty awful, awful time at the moment. So in the very grand scheme of things, I can't complain at all um, because there are people in far, far, far worse positions than me. Um, so yeah, I can't complain at all. I must clarify though, it was Kevin Hart, Eminem with my mouth stretched open. It was that speak for anyone that's listening, um, <laughs> yeah. and may not have the, the visual it was for, you know, that speak out game where you've got yeah. a little sort of mouth guard in. Um, yeah, it wasn't some sort of kinky sex game that we were playing <laughs> or whatever you may think. <laughs> yeah, he's not that sort of presenter. There's, um, there's other no. people that do that. Yeah, there probably is, yeah. <laughs> How have you been keeping uh, through lockdown? Have you been quite busy with work still, I imagine? Yeah, uh, we've we've been... Obviously, there's been... At the point of recording now, there's been three lockdowns. And the first one was the worst personally because work stopped completely. Um Sorry, I didn't even stop completely. It stopped in studio and it stopped filming uh, out and about. But we we carried on filming from the comfort of my tiny flat uh, in Manchester. But at that point, I didn't have any furniture. I moved into a brand new flat two days before lockdown. Didn't have any furniture at all. Um, so my sofa was a beanbag. My TV was on the floor. I didn't have a bed. Um, it's a bachelor it was, pad. It was, well, I mean, there's bachelor <laughs> pads and then there's there's hovels. And I'd call it more of like a, a hovel cavern than a, than a bachelor pad. It wasn't cool enough to be a bachelor pad, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
lockdown two, we carried on filming. Lockdown three, now we are, we are carrying on filming and working. So for me personally, that is probably the most imp- one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you've got to keep yourself busy. Like I've been, I've, I've in the first lockdown is when I sort of got into a rhythm of doing this podcast. The second lockdown, I I, I left it because I just I wasn't at the races with it. Uh, and this lockdown the same. I've been a, a lot nicer to myself. The first lockdown, I was, I wanted to do everything. I was like, I'm going to study Spanish every day. I'm going to get out for nice walks. I'm going to exercise for one hour every day. Um, whereas now I'm just, and I would like to have a PS5. That that would help. Um, but, you know, that's a tall order, unfortunately. Did you stick to what you said? Did you learn Spanish? Hablo Espanol? Uh, no, no, very, very badly. I was doing like 10 minutes a day on Duolingo. Um, and even right. that was just, I just, I just gave that up. Classic, classic. Yeah. yeah um, it's important. I, I've realized it's, it's so important. And of, of the three lockdowns, this is the first one where I've really delved into having some sort of rhythm. Like I'll get up in the morning mm. and I'll do minimal exercise. Very, very minimal, mm-hmm. but I'll do something. Yeah. Um, and that's the very first thing. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I'll, I'll literally roll off my bed onto the floor and do 50 press-ups, 50 sit-ups, like minimal, minimal, like nothing. And, um, but it, it, starting your day with something like that, then for me, gives me the boots up the backside to mm. be a little bit more productive or do something a little better than going, sitting on my sofa and playing Warzone, uh, which has been take up 90% of my time through all of the lockdowns probably. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. My I've got a new uh, a new morning routine. I've started journaling, um which has been interesting. It was, it's, I, it was a, it's a bit corny. I I sort of wasn't sure at first if I'd buy into it, but it's a great way to start the day because before I was getting out of bed and I was probably on my phone within 5 minutes and what an awful place to start, especially with the world in the place that it's at now, <laughs> going through Twitter. There is not a worse place in the world yeah. to be than on on your Twitter timeline, people. Do you know what though? Shout out to every single person who saves the day with memes. My mm. goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, if ever something terrible is happening in the world, give it, you know, the amount of time that it deserves, but then the memes start and it can turn something that's mm-hmm. pretty awful, like, you know, what happened uh, in Washington, D.C. a couple of days ago. Yeah. And it can at least put a smile on your face retrospectively. Mm-hmm. Somehow Twitter is the, is is its funniest when the world is at its worst. Pretty Which much. is something that I love because I'm the sort of person if if things are I'm the sort of person if if you don't laugh you'll cry like mm-hmm. if something is getting so bad then I'll just somehow start laughing uh, or at least that's what I try to do anyway. <laughs> anyway, let let's dive into it. I want to start with a bit of football chat. Uh, as you're a Man U fan, right? How did this relationship with the club develop? Uh, well, obviously, you can tell from my accent that um, I am a very credible Man United fan being born <laughs> near Watford. Uh, really niche being a, Watford, uh, a Man United fan from the southeast. Nah, I, uh, mm. I, I, I was born into a family, uh, an immediate family that isn't into football. My mum and dad, not into football at all. Um, and so I, I sort of fell into football in the playground. Um and Man United were doing very well in the early 90s. Um, and so I just sort of copied the other kids, started supporting Man United because the other kids did. Um, 
And the first season I started supporting them, they lost the league to Blackburn Ravers. So 95. Um, but I just, I sort of stuck, stuck with them. Uh, my mum had already bought me a shirt. So I didn't want to turn around and say, I don't support anyone else. Cause I was <laughs> terrified of the fact that she bought me this shirt. Um, and, and it just went from there, that and Peter Schmeichel. Um, mm. I can't truly remember the first time I ever watched a Man United match and saw Peter Schmeichel play, but uh, he made me a Man United fan and a goalkeeper as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, he was such a strong presence. Um, I thought you were going to say Fabian Barthez or you know, <laughs> someone like that. <laughs> I mean, I'll, you... I'll, I'll take that as a, a compliment to me looking younger than I actually am because there's about <laughs> yeah. 10 years difference there. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go with that. Well, yeah, take it as take it as a compliment, definitely. Um, where do you think you're going to finish this season? I mean, this season is nuts. I think there's mm. like... If it finishes, that is. If it finishes. It was yeah. 10 points separating the top 10, I believe. Yeah, something like uh, that, yeah. Like how Arsenal have come back from... Oh, Liam, I just saw that. <laughs> oh, that's awful. How that's you guys it. have come back uh, from the pits anymore. of despair. Yeah. How you come back from the pits of despair. And I think you're you're within 10, pen, uh, 10 points of Liverpool now uh, mm. as we speak. Um, and Man United, I mean, how we are joint top, second on goal difference with a game in hand is baffling. Mm-hmm. If we don't get Champions League football now, then... I mean, Ollie needs to be shown the door. Um, and that may sound harsh. He has done... It's a mixture of him be, having done incredible things. Uh, 60, 70, maybe even 80% thanks to Bruno Fernandes. But also, every team is stumbling. Every team around Man United is stumbling. And as happy as I am that we're near the top of the table, I'm cautiously opt- and as cautiously optimistic as I am, us being anywhere near where we are is also down to thanks, uh, down to teams around us dropping points as well. No one has been consistent. Yeah. Uh, well, it makes for a brilliant, brilliant title race. Um, but also I'm keeping my feet on the ground ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're at um, a really interesting point where like seven, eight years ago, there was there were all these players that could potentially become managers. And now we're seeing that. We're seeing Lampard, Arteta, Solskjaer, in, even like Gerrard as well in, in, mm. in, the, in the Scottish League. And we're going to find out, this is where we're going to find out if they are potentially out of their depth. I feel like, you know, Arteta could be, um, Solskjaer could be, you, you, you don't really know. So um, yeah, like you said, really interesting season. I'll hold up, I'll hold my hands up and I will... Yeah, I'll happily hold my hands up and I'll say that I, there were certain points this season that I think that Solskjaer should have been out of a job. Um, given the team that we've got and the fact that we haven't strength... It's not as if there's been wholesale changes to the team, you know, mm. during the summer. Cavani came in, a few others, but they haven't been starters week in, week out. Van der Beek, like, hasn't been a starter. So it's not as if we've had to gel a whole new team. He's had this team... He's at, he's at the starting 11 pretty much since January when Bruno Fernandes came in. Uh, some of the results that we picked up earlier in the season, I, I, th- I thought he doesn't have the credentials to be a winner in terms of manage- management as well. Like his last job in England was in Cardiff and he got relegated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he was a lot more to, the fact, to do with the fact that Pochettino was available. And with what he did with Spurs, taking them to a Champions League final... With that team, he could make Man United treble winners because the squad that we've got 
should be far, far more consistent than we have been this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah, might sound God, harsh. God depth is impressive, yeah. Right, that, that, might, that might sound harsh, but, you know, if you think of what Fergie did with a, an inferior squad, if you if you ask me, the squad that Man United last won the league with, with the likes of, um, where do I start? The Silvers um, on the wing-backs, weren't they? At that yeah, point? exactly. Um, I've completely forgotten his name. He's now the Watford captain. Tom Cleverley. Tom yeah. Cleverley, you know, being a league winner. And I, I think if, if Sir Alex Ferguson, although, you know, he is an icon and a legend, if he can win the league with that squad, the squad that we've got, I would say, if the players played against each other, the squad that we've got now, I would say, on footballing ability, is, is just as good, if not better. Mm. Yeah. But we're lagging behind in terms of points. Yeah, yeah, I think consistency is definitely key there. Um, but so you 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 ended up playing in goal because of just because of your love for Peter Michael. How did that happen? Because I I played in goal when I was in school, and the only reason I ended up doing that was because my first ever training session, the manager said, "All right, stand here if you want to be a striker. Here, midfielders. Here, defenders. Here, goalkeepers." And everyone obviously went to to striker. And I, I don't know, I know a little seven year old Liam thought, "I'm not going to get the game time here at this club unless I go in goal or at the back." So I, I just went in goal. But yeah, how how why did you go down that route? Fair play, seven year old Liam was ahead of the curve. Very yeah. smart. Fair yeah, play. Yeah. Spoke to my um, agent, and yeah, we spoke it out. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I. I, my love of being in goal came from, uh, it was my turn. Um, I, if I remember correctly, when I first started kicking a little sponge football around the playground, I fancied myself as a bit of a right midfielder mm-hmm. or even attacking midfielder or striker. Or what, I say that like, you know, five, six year olds have real positional awareness, <laughs> yeah. but it was probably what I sort of envisaged myself as. And then it was my turn to go in goal and I realised I'm much better at getting my face in the way of the ball mm-hmm. than I am at kicking it, apparently. Um, so it, it just went from there. It was my turn to go in goal. I, I, I realised I was better at it and I enjoyed it. Um, and it just went from strength to strength. And I'm a bit obsessive with goalkeepers and particularly the analysis of goalkeepers um, now. Mm, yeah, that's that's really interesting, and especially you quite rarely see goalkeeper pundits. Um, a, a few get through, like Shay Given does does a fair bit now, and that quite often the the outfield pundits can be a bit harsh on keepers. I think, you know, especially like Roy Keane, for example. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that a thousand percent, and I think that some of the stuff that is labelled as a goalkeeping error for me is not a goalkeeping error, and I think the classic. And this is going to be a really unpopular opinion. <laughs> but the classic is back pass to a goalkeeper. It hits a divot, goes over his foot and goes in the net. Mm. I don't understand how the goalkeeper is to blame for a divot being in the ground. So, you know, you can't foresee that. You're concentrating mm. on the game. You're concentrating on controlling the pass. Obviously, if you know, if the, if the pitch is immaculate and there's no divot or anything like that, then... Of course, it's a horrendous goalkeeping error. But if the ball bounces over the goalkeeper taking the goal kick, like how is he supposed to account for that? Yeah. Um, the, the, the conversation around wrong hand, I think, is just nonsense. Um, 
the conversation. Some of the stuff about near post, about whether you should catch or hold it. It's 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 a lot of chat from people who have just never played the position. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I get it's their job, and yeah, I get that it's their obviously it's their point of view, but uh, and I get that also their frame of reference would be play like Gary Neville, Rory Keane played with Peter Schmeichel, one of the greatest of all time. Um, Graham Souness would have, you know, he's watched enough goalkeepers in his time without ever mm-hmm. having played there. And he's probably the biggest for the whole wrong hand thing. Um, and also a lot of the pundits who are strikers, understandably, just aren't big on goalkeepers, you know. Yeah. I, and, and fans aren't either. I understand that. People watch football for goals more often than not. And goalkeepers get in the way of that very literally. Mm-hmm. So uh, look, I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing with a, with a goalkeeper, with the ball bouncing over a divot, I think if anything, that's on the outfield player for passing it back in the line of the goal between the sticks. I mean, put it either side, surely. Exactly. Exactly. That. That's what I, when I was playing, that's what I always, always told my defenders, my wing backs. If you're going to pass it to me, make sure it's wider the goal, mm-hmm. preferably on my right foot. Um, and that was it. Yeah. Exactly. I know you've done a few uh, like sport-related presenting roles, but would football presenting would that be something that that you'd love to do one day, or would you rather sort of keep that as a as more of a hobby than going into work? Uh, of course, I would absolutely love if if BT Sport or Sky Sports, who are definitely watching um, <laughs> and listening, fans. if they came to me and said, "Here you go, have a slot on Super Sunday," or "Here you go." Left, right, whatever it could be. I would, I would never in a billion years turn it down. Um, but I've got a huge amount of interests. I mean, football is, if you ask me what my number one passion was, football would be up there, but also I'd have a hard time trying to break it down uh, because I, I love my film. Um, I love my gaming. I love my music as well. And I think I, I want to spend as much time across as many of them as possible um yeah that's that's the answer that's the answer the thing the thing that does worry me slightly about football is the social media angle and just how people could talk to each other about i mean it's as i say it's my number joint number one passion but when people get to the level they get to with some of the online stuff i'm like my days chill out like mm-hmm. just take a look at yourself in the mirror and then come back and try and let's talk to each other like people instead of you know the, the way that people do speak to each other so i would never let that put me off though at the end of the day mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's good that's good to know but it's, at least, to... it's at least made me think about it yeah i think uh, that's not a surprise really football twitter is cutthroat um, I'm interested to hear your journey to becoming a presenter sort of as a matter of interest in myself because I I wish that I went into like student radio or student TV when I had the chance and I know that's how a lot of people start or like with hospital radio and, and stuff like that um, yeah I want to hear how you started because I know you studied uh, film and TV right? I did uh, I studied drama in my first year and then dropped it because it was too time consuming and I was too busy playing football and doing the, <laughs> the social stuff that happens with the university mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to have continued that into second and third year, also doing film and television um, and have it not completely consumed my life. I did treat university. The biggest thing that I learned from you, I think I made the right choice in the end, because the biggest thing that I learned from university is 
uh, I, I just grew up, um, you know, I, I rented a, a house for the first time with my mates and all that kind of thing. And it was, it was time away from home. So that's the thing that I take away most from my university life. So not letting my degree completely consume my life was the very, very biggest thing. I, I got into the job that I got into now by giving you the sort of abridged version because it's a long story. I didn't get my first job, but paid job in the media industry until I was 27. Um, but I created my own lane, basically. I did a bit of radio. Uh, I did, well, I said a bit, I did like three years of radio. I, I, I demoed at Capital. I, uh, I got into like final round of um, interviews at One Extra. Uh, wasn't lucky then. But then I just sort of, I saw a lane, much like what you've done with this podcast. I saw a lane, I thought of an idea. I saw that there was an open goal for want of a better phrase. Uh, and I exploited it, I didn't exploit it. I did it, exploited such a weird word to use. <laughs> but yeah, I, I took advantage of the fact that there was this idea in my head and there was this, there was this gap in the market for it. Um, and I co- Funded, produced, presented, directed, created uh, a series that went on the website Grime Daily um, called Games, Gadgets and Rhymes. And it's basically where we, uh, me and my co-everything, Mr. Midas, shout out to him. We invited grime artists and rappers and, and just people in that sort of scene onto the show to play three computer games head to head to each other. And then we reviewed a game each episode as well. So... I took that um, idea and then I saw that a website called joe.co.uk were hiring presenters um, and I took the idea to them and said, look what I've done. Um, look what I can do off my own back with my, you know, all of my own money. And obviously while I did this, I was doing the, the bar work, the, the sampling and brand ambassador work, you know, handing out free samples, trying to get people to sign up to the gym, working in bars, I did all that. Uh, and yeah, joe.co.uk were, were good enough to, to hand me my chance and then just went from there and, and the amount of incredible truly incredible stuff that I got to do while at Joe uh, meant that I was able to put a show reel together. And then look, I don't have a YouTube presence in any way. YouTubing isn't really my thing. Um, but I put a show reel together with the help of a friend and out of the hundred views it got 90 of them are probably my mum. Uh, and one of them happened to be a producer at the BBC who invited me to a screen test. So after three screen tests later, here I am. Very fortunate indeed. Class, unreal. That's really nice to hear how you sort of carved carved that way for yourself. It's very strange that we we often accept um, like the premise of unpaid work in those creative roles, but in in other lines of work, I don't know, like hospitality, for example, it's a complete rarity, and it would you you would be taking the piss really if um if that if you was offering it. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think that morally it's and it's i'd say it's ambiguous mm. because if you want to do this if you want to get into this line of work and you want to do this job i think you need there needs to be it's a, how do i explain it? it's a it's a job that everyone wants to do mm. but people i don't know how what percentage of people get to a level where they're television presenters or radio presenters i don't know what that percentage is um but if it was paid there would be a th 
this is very, very easy for me to say from the position I'm in, and I admit that, and, and I could be wrong, but um, I would go as far as to say that if a radio station is making money from advertisements, then people who are on the radio should have their, at least their travel paid for. Um, and just expenses, for, for me, in my opinion. Um, I think... It's such a, I'm so, so lucky with what I do. I'm so, so lucky to earn money doing something that I love to do that those days when I was doing it for free, I didn't mind. Mm -hmm. The thing that I minded was the fact that I had to pay 90 pounds a week to get myself to the radio station. And it was a two and a half hour journey just there. Mm. Um, that I minded that, but it was a means to an end. Um, but the actual doing of the radio, I didn't mind that I was doing it for free. My dad did. Um, I didn't at all because I knew it was a means to an end. I didn't know, but I had faith that it was a means to an end. Yeah, that was a very convoluted answer. Very no, convoluted no, I, I know what you mean. But you, you said that you're lucky to be in the position you are now, but it, it, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like you created your own luck. I mean, if you, because if you, that's just how the world works. As soon as you start trying to do these good things, other good things will attract to you. So, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't dump, play that down. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. This, okay. So this, I finally thought of it. This is how, this is how I'll put it. If you're motivated by the money aspect, then you shouldn't be in the industry. The fact that mm. you in this industry get to do and speak to incredible people who have a genuine passion for what they do, whether you're interviewing Kevin Hart or Denzel Washington or Ashley Young or whoever, they have an incredible passion for what they do. Mm-hmm. If your motivation for being in this industry is money, then you don't have the motivation for me, the correct motivation um, and passion to be in the position to interview these people who are also very, very passionate about what they do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like I've, I've found even doing this podcast, if I'm not present and I'm not interested in the person, it makes for a really bad episode. Yeah, um, exactly. Luckily that. luckily that hasn't really happened, but um, yeah, that will definitely be the case. Exactly. I, I've been sat opposite people that, uh, in, in interview situations and they don't want to be there and they give me nothing and it's awful and it's turgid and it's, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, especially with some of the names I've got to interview, but I know that they don't want to be there. And I know that the best part of my job being able to be sat in a room with them is probably the worst part of their job. Um, mm. And I understand that. Um, but I also think that you should give your all no matter what situation you're in. And everyone has good and bad days. I get that, but that's not on the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely know uh, what you mean. Yeah. And, and, and as an example, I think what you're, cause I mean, as far as I know, there's no sponsorship or anything for what mm-hmm. you do for this, you do this all off your own back. And I think that is yeah. incredible. Yeah, thank you very much. And shows yeah. that you've got a passion for it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's the conversations with people. It's a way to connect with people that in in other parts of my life I, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't get the chance to speak to them. But um, what, what do you think makes makes a good presenter? Because I think as a viewer, you can definitely undermine the skill involved in it. But I, I also think that can be a credit to the presenter because the best presenters they do it so seamlessly that it almost looks like there's no skill involved. Does does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. People just think it's um, talking. Mm. People think you get on camera and you talk. What they don't realise is the research that goes into it um, and the prep that goes into it. The fact that the presenter, if it's live, will have somebody in their ear talking to them 
um, and giving them notes while they're talking. And I don't know if you've ever tried to reel off, not even conversation, lines that you need to memorise while someone is talking to you in your ear, but it's not easy. It's multitasking. Mm -hmm. Um, There's situations where you need to talk to time, so it needs to come across like you are just having a conversation or just doing a natural piece to camera. However, there is a count in your ear and you need to fill that time mm-hmm. to the precise second because if you stop talking and there's a load of dead air, that's yeah. not a good look. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, and also it, it's it's your personality as well. And I, I, there's a certain element, I don't think it's a job that you can learn how to do in terms of how you come across on camera. Um, yeah, it's hard to teach can, charisma. Yeah, I think you can, there's a, you, that can only take you so far, um, you know, the learning aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that the best presenters, the ones that I looked up to were knowledgeable, um, didn't take themselves too seriously. Um I'm trying to think of Trevor Nelson, uh, Zane Lowe back in the day, um, the likes of Simon Thomas as well when he was on Sky Sports and now on Amazon Prime, just knew their stuff, charismatic, mm-hmm. uh, didn't take themselves too seriously, were able to roll with the punches in terms of what happens and you know, on and off screen and all that kind of thing as well. Um, they're the very, very best. Uh, and I think it's more importantly than anything, it's got to be genuine. If it's not genuine... And I don't know if this is because I'm in the industry, but if it's not genuine, I can see through it. If someone is doing a job around something that they don't immediately have an interest in, let me rephrase that. It's okay to do a job where you don't didn't have a previous interest in it. But if you're not invested in it and you're doing it, then for me that comes across. So for example, I could do a job presenting a poker tournament. I'm terrible at poker. I don't have a big interest in it. However, I will research and I will, I will dive headfirst into it and I will be genuine with my line of questioning and all that kind of thing. If someone does, I don't know, um, someone else who may literally just be given a script, read the words and not be as interested in it, mm-hmm. I think that comes across. And I'm, I'm lucky in that I take a, a natural interest in everything. I'm yeah. curious about everything. And I've covered poker at Joe Dakota UK. I covered a poker tournament um, and I I genuinely grew and gained an interest in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With Blue Peter, it's such such a monumental program for the youth of Britain. Like the Blue Peter badge, I I think you'd struggle to find someone on the island that wouldn't recognise it. Uh, But because of the size of that program, do you feel... Uh, a weight on your shoulders do you feel that pressure or are you more focused on sort of the pride of of that job that you're in i did uh i certainly did feel the pressure i had horrific imposter syndrome when i first started mm. um because i got no right or I had no right to be co-presenter of the longest running children's tv program in the world and even saying that now i got a lump in my throat because it's <laughs> mad to me um so the imposter syndrome was crazy. The presenter that I, because I was a replacement presenter. Um, so Radzi left, I replaced him. And I watched obviously all of the shows leading up to when he left. Um, and before that, when I was researching and he was obviously very, very popular with the audience, um, with the staff, with with Lindsay, the co-presenter. Um, 
So I thought they were very, very big shoes to fill. And yeah, the imposter syndrome was was mad. Um, but it's 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 mindset. And now, um, for me, then it was about getting over the initial hurdles of firsts. So the first live show, the first live uh, baking that I did, where you got to make or bake something. The first one of those, the first Christmas show where it's it's huge and there's 300 kids in a studio and it's mass. It's always the biggest show of the year. So for me, it was about getting over those firsts. The first show I did without Lindsay as well. Um, but it's a show that you have to enjoy. Sounds, mm. sounds like a, a bit of a oxymoron. You have to enjoy something, you know, you either do or you don't. Uh, um, but it's imperative that you do enjoy it because at the end of the day, it's not the news. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to get every single line correct. And kids love when stuff goes wrong as well. Yeah. And, and, and I, <laughs> for example, I will, uh, there's the Blue Peter Dog classic. And I probably 90% of the time hold the Blue Peter Dog because um, I think I love him the most. I think I'm the most patient with him. And also if he starts barking or whatever, I don't mind at all. I'll, I'll sometimes I sort of wind him up a little bit just to get the best out of him on camera. No, I don't, you know, just if I, I've got a tree hidden in my hand or whatever, and I'll wind him up a little bit with it just to get the best out of him on camera because a really immaculately behaved pet is no fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine that can alleviate some of the pressure as well, breaks the tension in the room. Yeah, precisely that, precisely that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more one more good thing, which I've realised I've done a lot of uh, to be a good presenter, is you've got to be able to talk, and I am, my God, I'm going for it. <laughs> Has there been like a standout moment so far on your your Blue Peter journey, or, or one moment that you think of uh, instantly? Uh, there's been a, there's been a couple, um, and it's difficult to pick. It's difficult to pick just one. We had Gareth Southgate on the show. Mm. Recently, when was right? it? Yeah, within the last months, um, maybe at the beginning of December, and having him in the studio because it's one thing having the guests on. You know, I, I was lucky enough this time last year chatting to Robert Downey Jr. But having him come into the studio was a big deal. Um, I really, like, it was the first time that I've, in my professional career, that I've had a guest from the outside that I love, respect, would love to talk to, come to me, if that makes sense. Mm, Usually, yeah. you know, when I go and interview these people, I go to wherever they are. Excuse me. I go to the hotel, you know, where, where they are. I'll go to the football pitch where they are, the training ground is the first time I had one come to me. So that was a, that's been a huge, huge moment, but also some of the challenges that I've done are, are, are been pretty nuts as well. Um, and incredible in a different way. Uh, one challenge that I did, I, it made me throw up more than I've ever thrown up in my entire life. Mm. Um, so that was memorable in a different way. Mm-hmm. A lot less, uh, a lot less gunge on TV these days, kids TV. <laughs> oh, listen, if you're a children's <laughs> TV presenter and you haven't been gunged, then you're not a children's TV presenter. There's certain boxes that you've got to tick before, for me, you're a qualified children's TV presenter. And they're making an absolute clown out of yourself and not caring, being gunged. Um, and there was uh, obviously working with children as well. Um, they're three of the things. And I've been gunged more than once. Um, there's been times doing this podcast that... Um... That I've I've not really been at the races and I've struggled to be as in the zone as as I normally am. But for you, 
how what's it like for you on an off day? Because I imagine because you've got a, a young audience, you you always need to bring that extra 20, 10, 20% um, to entertain and to to communicate with them. So so what's that like for you? I've 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 certainly had my days where as much as I love and believe me, I love my job, you know, being in studio, there have been days where it's been it's been tough. I've not been in the right place mentally. Um and it's a case of giving allowing myself to feel whatever it is I'm feeling um, and taking myself off to a place where I can just get in the zone, do a bit of a breathing exercise, get in the zone. And also, at the end of the day, it is so much fun that when I hear we're now live in my ear, I just sort of go into a mode it's all very genuine, you know, I'm still myself, but I just sort of, it's sort of, I don't want to say cruise control kicks in, but that's probably the closest thing I can think of. I just get into this, I get into this zone when I hear that we are live and I am in the studio and I am in that environment. So no matter how bad a day I'm having, and I've, yeah, as I said, I've, I've had days where I've just not, I've wanted to be anywhere else but the studio uh not because of the studio or not because of blue peter but because of other stuff going on in my life or whatever uh you know i just wanted to be at, at home you know mm. but once i hear we're live all of that disappears and also especially in the last year i'm very very thankful for my job because it gives me that escapism mm. in a way from what is going on um and what's maybe some stuff has gone on uh, it allows me that escapism for, you know, most of the day when I'm able to concentrate. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's a bit like, um, like our footballers would always say: if you're not, if you're not in the zone and just enjoying it on the pitch, then you'll overthink every little thing. Like if you misplace a pass, then all you're thinking about for the next five minutes: ah, oh, should have, should have played that pass better. But then if you're, if you're in that, I know what you mean. It's a, it's almost like a certain part of your brain that you that you can't hack into on demand, but like, but eventually it just, it just happens. Does that make sense? Perfectly. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's just the, it's the environment that you're in as well. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, the football analogy is a very, very good one, especially if you make a mistake as a goalkeeper, it's, it's, I dwelled and dwelled and dwelled. Um, but then, you know, if you dwell for too long, then you're not concentrating. And I, I would dwell to the point where I then had to do something else and then I'd snap out of it yeah. and I'd be back in the zone just mm -hmm. trying to, make the next catch, punch, pass, whatever it could be. Mm -hmm. Do you care about what people think in terms of your work? Because you come across as very confident and naturally charismatic, but I'm sure that that, that, isn't, that isn't just maybe completely natural, like you probably worked up towards that. I care a thousand percent about what I do and how I do it. However, there's a point where I know that certain things are out of my hands and it's difficult to impose myself on that. Mm. For example, uh, there, if there is an item um, that isn't, say, as... I'll give you an example. If I'm doing uh, an item on driving uh, a car that is then powered by animated intelligence as well, and I'm racing against myself, which I've, I've, I've done, naturally i'm going to gravitate a lot more towards that than i am an item on plants i'm looking around my flat i see a plant 
I will judge them both the same. Uh, in fact, no, that's a bad. That's probably a bad example. I, uh, I will probably only judge myself and care myself um, when it comes to stuff in my control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I will one thousand percent always put the same effort in. So whether I'm talking about plants or talking about cars or talking about football or talking about film, but if there are things that happen that are out of my control, then at that point, then I'm like, right, well, I can't, if I can't control that, you know, if I can't control that um, the sound wasn't rolling or recording on that, or, you know, that was a really, really good take for me, but someone forgot their line, then it is what it is. You know, there's no point in dwelling or analyzing it. I guess it, I guess it depends. It does depend as well. I care more about stuff that, um, it's going to sound really obvious, but I care more about stuff that I care more about. For example, the Gareth Southgate interview, I felt the pressure a lot, lot more. That's what I should be saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you're going to have a job editing this down, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Gareth Southgate interview, the pressure was on for me because I wanted to nail that. I wanted to do it the justice it deserves to have Gareth Southgate in the show. Whereas with a plant, I'm a lot more relaxed about it. So I, I might, might be better because I'm more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. You're 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 naturally going to put more pressure on the situation that you're maybe more proud of in in the long run, and because like you know like pressure and anxiety that we put on ourselves, our brain can't keep up with that, and you know you you're you just go into threat mode pretty much, and you and then you're unable to to work to the best of your ability. I'll give you a, an example. I've felt pressure and work pressure and work anxiety a thousand billion trillion percent as I've gotten older than when I was in my early twenties, because I care about the job I'm in now. I didn't care about handing out samples of coffee. I cared about the radio. I did. But at the end of the day, I knew that it was where I was learning. Uh, And I knew that if I made a mistake there, it wasn't the end of the world. And I didn't have the audience that I have now. Uh, So I care a lot more now. And I feel the anxiety and the pressure a lot more now because I care that much more about the job. Yeah, yeah, but that's a good thing though. You just you obviously want to do well for yourself. Um, one thing that I I really admire about Blue Peter now, I, I don't remember if this was the case when when I when I was younger. It probably was, and I just don't remember. But they confront a lot of potentially sensitive topics um, to educate the young viewers, such as like Black Lives Matter. I know you did like a special on that quite recently. But do you think that balance of entertainment and education is is exactly what makes Blue Peter so special? I think it's vital. I think it's absolutely vital. Um, Because at the end of the day, I think that I think kids aren't stupid is the wrong word. They're definitely not stupid, but I think they're a lot more wise to the world than, especially when I grew up, probably. I think I was, I was sort of in a bubble of football, friends, games, Mm. and, and films and all this kind of thing. Whereas now with social media, especially with how, uh, you know, when I, when I was a kid, my dad would tune in on the hour, every hour to watch the news. Now parents are on their phones, potentially constantly, you know, uncovering the news or discovering the news as it happens. Mm -hmm. And I think it's vital that we cover within reason maybe those not so savory aspects of the planet that we live on. Um, and the black lives matter speech that we did was something that was pushed by myself that we had to cover. Um, 
because it's our duty. And mm-hmm. the thing that is very, very fresh and very, very new to me that I've never had before in my life until I started Blue Peter is that I am a role model. And it is so really surreal for me to say that. But it's a fact that I, it's a fact that I have to sort of mm. deal with. And that makes it sound like I don't want to be a role model. It's not that. It's just the pressure that be, you know comes with being a role model, um, is is pretty big. Yeah. Do you get approached quite often if you're out and about? I've I've been approached uh, not 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 that often. It's not as if you know I need to wear sunglasses, a cap, and a, <laughs> I mean I need to wear a mask everywhere I go, obviously. But you know it's not as if I need to disguise myself or anything like that. Uh, but I have been you know in situations that I wouldn't usually assume. Mm-hmm. Friday night out, you know, on a Friday night out in London on a train, being approached by a forty-year-old bloke. Like, oh, all right, mate, my kids love you. Uh, <laughs> nice one. Can we get a photo? Yeah, of course you can. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, I got my wits about me, you know. And if I'm not the same person as I was in my early twenties, especially on nights out, um, I always got a little bit of a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know you've done sort of moving on from from the presenting side of things. I know you've done a fair bit of traveling sort of in and out of work. So I wanted to go through some of your your top destinations where you've been. Let's do let's do a top three. Oh, top three. Okay. Uh, Instantly, I'm going to say I went to I I took for my 30th birthday. I saved up and took myself off to Colombia and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil uh, for a couple of weeks um with with a mate and that was incredible it's just me one other mate we did Colombia, which is just stunning uh i did get robbed by the police when i was there but that's fine it was worth well, it well you know peaks and troughs yeah yeah exactly uh, <laughs> and then we took ourselves off to rio de janeiro for carnival and it was just unbelievable uh and then took it a football match as well shout out to flamengo my second team if you like uh <laughs> went to watch uh, flamengo play in the um Oh, my days. What is the name of the Brazil National Stadium? I've completely forgotten it. The World Cup final took place there. Mm. That's good. I'm going to kick myself. Go on, carry on. I'll Google it. Um, yes, yeah, so I took in the, a match at the Brazil National Stadium and the atmosphere watching a match in Brazil. The atmosphere anywhere in Brazil is completely different to here, but no more starker than watching a football match. So I think the stadium was about two thirds full, but the atmosphere was as if it was at capacity and then some, mm. and then some more. It was the Mar- incredible. Maricana? The Maricana. 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 There we go. There it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So taking in a football match at the Maricana was a highlight of my life. And again, the match itself, it was a 1-1 draw. It wasn't a particularly great game. But I didn't care. Um, Carnival was unbelievable. Mm. Just the uh, exceptional. Uh, so yeah, I'd say Brazil, LA for me is amazing because I love my film and I love my music and there it's a bit of a, a mecca for me. Mm. Um, so I love, I love, I can see why people wouldn't like LA, but I love it. Um, and <sighs> I guess the trip, the trip that I, I did, I drove, I, it's not a place as such. It's just a, a trip that I did where I drove from San Francisco. Um, I went to San Francisco to go to the home of Pixar 
um, and interviewed some people at Pixar and that was unbelievable. But then I drove from San Francisco down to LA, uh, that trip, the trip with Colombia and Brazil, and these aren't destinations as such, I guess they're more trips. Um, they are the, they're the top two far mm. and away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess the third would be Thailand because I learned how to scuba dive and it was yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's one thing that I that I can't wait to do more of now traveling. I think last year made me miss that adventure a lot more, probably than I thought I did. Like that lack of ability to learn about these new cultures and discovering new places that typically just aren't on your radar. Like you just don't come across them in your day to day, right? It's it's amazing um, that I, I I won't necessarily research a place before I go. I, number three, Mexico. Anyway, mm. uh, I won't re- necessarily research a place in depth before I go. I like to discover stuff when I when I get there. Yeah. Um, but it was just it's so eye opening to me. Just for example, a night out in Brazil and how they party and the lack of inhibitions compared to here, where the UK, where everyone needs to get drunk before they even get anywhere near the dance floor and the atmosphere of football match in comparison, you know, some might think the Bra- uh, Brazilians passion for their football team is a little bit too much. I saw someone <laughs> ki- kick a chair off the hinges when the, their team conceded the goal, but when they score a goal, my mm. God, it's incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it, there is nothing. I, I want to do more traveling. Um, mm. That's for sure. And it was something that I wish I'd done 10 years ago, but I couldn't afford it. Um, and traveling is something that I will do every single year until I die. Mm-hmm. Lovely that's stuff. for sure. Um, we're going to sort of round this off with some long ball questions. And that sort of travel talk actually leads nicely into this first question. I want to hear your your ideal day post pandemic so forget about logistics forget there is any there are any restrictions you can plan this day from morning to evening oh my days just one day mm, just one day um i uh so zaps be in this country no 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 you can you can zap from place to place if, if you wanted to i would go I zap to teleport. I don't even need to spend you, the time flying. You can teleport, mate. You can teleport. Fine. Wonderful. On this podcast, right. anything's possible. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. I wish I could live in the world of this podcast. <laughs> I would, uh, I would do first things first. I would do like a, a little champagne breakfast with my mum. Have have some really good food and a drink with her uh, out and about, uh, and then I'd go. Uh, I'd zap to this little restaurant that my dad, me and my dad always go to little Arabic place. We always, always go to there in St. Albans. I'd zap there and have a little, a little more food with him. And then I'd found up, um, my mates and we'd zap to Vegas. Nice. I'd just take it from there. Nice. There that would go. be it. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like I've really raised the bar now. And if anything else you do is just gonna, it's just not going yeah, to be. <laughs> yeah. Big time, big time. <laughs> It's, I mean that that's in an ideal world, but when we when we came out of that first lockdown, me and my girlfriend, um, we went out for food and drink, and it, we like we ate food. We had a really amazing burger, and then I, had, you know, I had a pint, she had a cocktail, and then we were like, "Should we go home now?" Mm. And we we're like, yeah. "Yeah," that was it. Went home, and, and that was <laughs> it. But um, yeah, that's the ideal plan, anyway. Lovely stuff. And um, what about your dream presenting job? All I'm going to say is 
uh, I want to be in a position where people come to me to have conversations as opposed to me going to them. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. I, I, I mm-hmm. want to be at a point where people will come to me and say, let's talk about X, Y, Z. Lovely stuff. Um, what makes you anxious? What makes me anxious? The perception of me a little bit. If, if someone, uh, if I say or do something that is, um, puts me across in the manner that I don't want to be perceived in. That's one thing. Twitter's a big one for that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I could send out a tweet about anything. And if someone says, you know, tweets back saying, what, or are you sure? Or, you know, it could be about anything. Mm-hmm. Then I'll probably delete the tweet, to be honest. I'll probably just be like, ah, ah, delete. <laughs> um, even though I know what I mean. And if I explain it, I'm sure they come around. Um, but that's probably the thing that makes me most anxious. Yeah. I think that's One natural. Humans, we need, we need the approval of other humans. That's how we've literally survived for millions of years. It's a lot more, it's a lot more, I'm just not a confrontational person. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah. For me, it's a lot more of that. Uh, the approval of people I, I don't tend to seek. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more sort of the other end of that. I, I, you know, I'm not as bothered about quote unquote the approval as I am about just not being seen to be an absolute idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I get you hundred um, percent. What have you learned about yourself in the past year or so? It's been a tricky I, one. The biggest thing that I have easily learned in the last year, this is the easiest question that you've asked me is that I compartmentalize everything in mm. terms of I spent the day yesterday in my running gear uh, did I go running? No. Did I exercise? No. But I thought I would if I sat, uh, if I put my running gear on as soon as I got out of the shower. Um, I hate working, filming at home. Working at home is is, is a needs must, like, you know, pr- producing some stuff. I, I Sometimes I need to do that. That's fine. Um, but if I'm filming, I don't want to be at home. If I'm exercising, I don't want to be at home. Uh, being here at my home is where I relax. I do whatever it is I want to do to make me happy, chilled and Zen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the biggest thing I've learned about myself. And the last question of today, Richie is what about yourself? Are you most proud of? Um, I have not compromised my integrity to get to where I am and I will touch wood not compromise my integrity not to a big not to a great deal to get to where i want to go um there's a lot of and more power to them it's just not for me there's a lot of people that will take the shortcut um do the reality tv show or or, or whatever it is um because that's not something i'm interested in and because taking a selfie every day for instagram is not something i'm interested in or whatever it could be it's not something I'm interested in. It's not something I care about. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do the job that I do for the love of the job and discovery rather than, I don't know, money or social media numbers. I mean, I'm a television presenter with 5,000, 6,000 Instagram followers. That's nothing. Uh, but I, I'm not bothered. That's not something that I care about. Um, 
I want my following, and so far it is, but I want my following to be off the back of the work that I do rather than taking a selfie a day. Mm-hmm. But, but as I said, more power to you if that's your thing and, and fair play. It's just not for me. That's really good to hear. It's good that you know that about yourself because eventually you'll be when if your job if like if you end up not with a job in the future, let's say you're retiring, um, you've still got that integrity. So that that'll be a really nice soothing thought for you to live with. Yeah, it's and, and some people it's not important, and I, and I mm. sort of it's a bit of a I guess it's a sort of contradiction of mine because I wish I didn't care about it as much as I do because I think it would allow me to live a lot more free in a way. Yeah. But it's just not that that need for attention isn't me at all. Mm. Um, and there are a lot of aspects of my life that I will keep a secret, whether I'm, you know, the fact that I mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm in a relationship. I, I would never put that on social media. I just told you, but I would never put it on social media because I just don't need or want the attention in that way. Um, but each to their own, I guess. Mm-hmm. Great and stuff, also those, 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 those people with a million followers or that have done the, the reality TV, they're the ones, you know, earning all yeah. of that. That's being true. able to do instagram efforts <laughs> very good very good point richie thank you so much for joining me on the football and feelings podcast today i hope you enjoyed it liam thank you honestly I, i've loved it so what you're what you're doing is is amazing and, and more power to you and well done fantastic thank you very much and to the listener thank you very much for joining me make sure you stay connected throughout this lockdown please and always as always in the description of this episode there will be links to mental health charities the samaritans as well so use them if you need to thank you very much for joining me see you next time Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.